Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. It's December 21st, and you're listening to episode 27 and the season finale of season one of Under the Bleachers. After today, we'll be taking a few months off from releasing new episodes, and we'll return in the spring for season two. During the off months, we'll be re-releasing some of our favorite interviews from season one, so be sure to check those out if you missed them the first time around. And we may also release a couple of bonus episodes as well, so stay tuned. For the season finale episode, it was Laura's turn to choose the topics, and she chose a 2020 recap of all the biggest stories in the world of queer culture, sports, and the intersection of sports and queer. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, The Washington Prodigy. Before we get into our topics, we always like to give you an update on Team DC. Team DC recently announced that it is now accepting applications for the 2021 Team DC College Scholarships. Team DC Student Athlete Scholarships provide up to $2,000 of financial support to offset the cost of educational expenses. Scholarships are awarded to self-identified lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer student athletes who have contributed to the sport in which they participate and enhance the perception of the LGBTQ community as a result of their contributions and involvement. Scholarships are given to graduating high school seniors in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area who will attend an accredited two- or four-year college or university. Candidates must demonstrate dedication to both academic and athletic excellence, as well as show promise as an LGBTQ plus role model. If you are a student athlete or are affiliated with area educational institutions, go to teamdc.org or email scholarship at teamdc.org for more information. Also, Team DC has partnered with Nelly Sports Bar for an initiative called Heroes for Heroes to provide free meals to DC essential workers. December's Heroes for Heroes meal was a dinner delivered to the nurses and staff in the cardiac ICU unit at Washington Hospital Center on December 7th. The December Heroes for Heroes meal was sponsored by Team DC, Kara Bowling, DC Gay Basketball League, Lambda Lynx, Embody Pure Grace Fitness, and DC Strokes. If you or your organization want to participate in future Heroes for Heroes meals, Team DC is collecting donations of $50 or more, and you can contact Brent Miner at brent at teamdc.org for more details. Finally, Team DC board elections are coming up in January. The positions up for election are president, outreach, marketing, social media, fundraising, and external relations. To learn more about Team DC and its board, visit teamdc.org. And if you are interested in running, please contact Les Johnson at les at teamdc.org for more information. This is our season finale, but we'll continue to release content every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. 
Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to help our podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or, or type a quick review means a lot to us and helps us get the word out. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. We'll be back in the spring and we'll have all new episodes for season two of Under the Bleachers. And we'd love to hear from you if you have topics or interviews you'd be interested in for season two. You can always email us your comments and suggestions at podcast at teamdc.org. And now here's Laura to kick us off in our final episode of season one. Okay, and wrapping up the biggest stories in the world of queer culture this year, I thought I'd start with a look back at some of this year's coming out stories. We had some big names come out this year. Most people heard about Jamila Jamil from The Good Place and HBO's Legendary coming out as queer in January. And just two weeks ago, we talked about Elliot Page coming out as trans this month. But there were also a whole bunch of other lesser known celebrities to come out this year. In January, Stacey London, host of What Not to Wear, came out announcing that she is happily in love with her girlfriend, Kat Yesbeck. Actor DJ Qualls, known for his roles in Road Trip and The New Guy, came out as gay. And popular makeup guru and YouTuber Nikki DeYager, more commonly known by her username, Nikki Tutorials, came out as trans. In February, well-known British TV host Philip Schofield, actor Rick Cosnett from The Flash, British vlogger Nikki Elbin and YouTube star Ricky Dillon all came out as gay. In March, former Congressman Aaron Schock and rapper DeBrat came out as gay. Winona Earp star Dominique Provost-Chalkley announced she was queer, and Polish actor Witold Sadowy celebrated his 100th birthday by coming out as gay. In April, 74-year-old children's author Jacqueline Wilson and actor J. August Richards, known mostly for his role as Charles Gunn in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff Angel, and as Mike Peterson in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came out as gay. Season 12 RuPaul's Drag Race contestant Gigi Good came out as gender fluid. YouTube personality and viral singer Rebecca Black came out as queer, and actress Ali Cravalho from Moana came out as bisexual. In May, model and social media star Tatiana Ringsby came out as bisexual. June was a big month. It was Pride Month. Actresses Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black and Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray came out as gay. Actresses Lily Reinhart from Riverdale and Hustlers and Pearl Mackey, who played lesbian character Bill Potts on the long-running sci-fi show Doctor Who's 10th season. British singer-songwriter Lapsley and Walk the Moon frontman Nicholas Patricia all came out as bisexual. Supermodel and actress Cara Delevingne, who previously came out as bisexual and gender fluid, came out as pansexual. YouTube personality and former X Factor contestant Trevi Moran came out as a trans woman. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and Pokemon Detective Pikachu star Justice Smith and DJ and music producer Spencer Brown both came out as gay. Supergirl actress Kyler Lee and actor Ben Eldridge, who had a recurring role in Phoebe Waller-Bridge's critically acclaimed comedy Fleabag as Arsehole Guy, identified themselves as LGBTQ. Electrocumbia singer and record producer Raymix and Grammy-nominated Spanish singer-songwriter Pablo Alboran came out as gay. Actress Madison Bailey of the Netflix show Outer Banks and social media star Tanya Mongo both came out as pansexual. 
in July, singer and The Voice season three alum Avery Wilson came out as bisexual. In August, popular Swedish pop singer Darren came out as gay. Grey's Anatomy star Sarah Ramirez came out as non-binary. And singer Tanash and YA author Becky Albertalli, most known for penning Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, the book that served as the basis for beloved gay teen rom-com Love, Simon, came out as bisexual. And actress Niecy Nash identified as queer and announced her marriage to her new wife, Jessica Betts. In September, former Democratic Florida gubernatorial candidate and Tallahassee mayor Andrew Gillum and Canadian actor Francois Arnaud, who starred in The Borgias and had a memorable guest role on Schitt's Creek as David's ex, Sebastian Rain, came out as bisexual. South Korean singer Kwon Doo-woon identified as part of the LGBTQ community, and Donald Glover, who is a writer, actor, musician, and all-around superstar, discussed his sexuality, saying that he didn't identify with any one label. In October, MTV decoded host, TV writer, actress, and activist Francesca Ramsey came out as bisexual, and Australian actor Hugh Sheridan identified as queer. Tiger King's Carol Baskin also came out as bi. In December, Real Housewives of Orange County star Bronwyn Wyndham Burke and Below Deck star and Bravo celebrity Izzy Wooters came out as lesbian, and Big Brother season 16 cast member Zach Rance came out as bi. And since we focus on the intersection of sports and queer on this podcast, I wanted to acknowledge that there were also a whole bunch of athletes that came out this year. In February, Olympic swimmer Marcus Thormeyer came out as gay. In March, Swiss professional wrestler Curtin Orlick and Argentinian professional basketball player Sebastian Vega came out as gay. In April, Marion University hockey player Brock Weston came out as gay. In May, professional Swiss volleyball player Denis Delval and French ice dancer and Olympic silver medalist Guillaume Cizeron came out as gay. In June, Chilean basketball player Daniel Arcos and former professional soccer player Thomas Beattie, snowboarders Tanner Pendleton, Jake Kuzik, and Kennedy Deck all came out as gay, and snowboarder Jill Perkins identified herself as a member of the LGBTQ community. In July, deaf snowboarder Chad Unger, WWE NXT star Tegan Knox, and Olympic softball star Haley McClaney came out as gay, and five-time British trampoline gymnastics champion Luke Strong came out as bisexual. In September, World Cup soccer player Rebecca Quinn, who is a member of the Canadian women's national team and a 2016 Olympic bronze medalist, came out as transgender, and 22-year-old rugby star Levi Davis came out as bisexual. And in October, Olympic gymnast Danelle Leva came out as bisexual and pansexual. Welcome to all of these members of the family. What a year it has been. So Gabe, were you surprised by all of the celebrities and athletes who came out this year? I'm pretty surprised. Uh, and also, I'm, I'm kind of glad, but it's it's kind of great that everyone can actually get the chance to come out now. And I know it's great. Well, it's yeah. funny too. Cause it's like, Oh, this guy came out in an inter Instagram post. Whereas this, yeah. <laughs> this lady came out in like a full page article in out magazine, you know, it's like, it just doesn't matter. Like everybody's just coming out however they feel like it. And it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and it's the cool stories of that. we talked about before where, where, you know, somebody comes out and it kind of sends a chain reaction of everybody else coming out. Like, 
a couple months ago, we talked about the skiers or the snowboarders that one guy came out and then all these people were like, well, if he's coming out, I'm going to come out too. That's right. It was a chain <laughs> reaction of rainbows and uh, fireworks. Sparkles. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. Fireworks with sparkles. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, it was a good year to be queer. We have people coming out to announce their sexuality, their gender identity, everything else. I loved that a whole bunch of people came out and they didn't even like give themselves a label. They just said, I'm, I'm just here to let you know that I'm queer or I'm part of the LGBTQ community. And I don't think it's necessary to label myself. And, you know, I thought that was pretty cool too. But even Carol Baskin, like, do we have to count her? <laughs> I mean, I had to throw it in there because it just seemed like if we were going to acknowledge, we should acknowledge. But yeah, I don't know if Carol Baskin counts as a celebrity. <laughs> or Aaron Shock. Do we have to count him or Kevin we Spacey? We do. We don't have these- to. We don't <laughs> have to celebrate him and his anti-gay uh, politics, but we do have to uh, welcome him to the community because everybody's coming out story is important. That is true. Even though he's but still a prick. Even if you're a, what, a Polish politician who's got caught in an orgy. Yeah. His, well, that, that's right. I should also, <laughs> I should also say that I'm pretty sure I butchered some of those names. So apologies <laughs> for that. Um, but we still uh, welcome you. And most of all, we uh, are excited that coming out is becoming, you know, more and more of a celebration and easier for people and all of that is just great. I mean, it's even great in the in the world of sports that so many athletes are starting to come out now, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, and I mean, let's be honest, like it's so great for the individuals that they get to live their truth and live openly and proudly, but it also, you know, is so important for society at large. I mean, we've talked about it so many times about how, you know, for some people, they might never meet a gay person or might not know that they've ever met a gay person, but seeing people who are in the public realm, you know, come out and um, identify, it like helps those people to, you know, put a face to, um, you know, and so and put some humanity behind all of the the letter soup, you know, that's out there. Because, <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah, you know, some people important. might not. <laughs> they, they might not know okay what is pa- uh, pansexual what is bisexual people might not know what it is you know asexual everything that everything yeah the entire alphabet soup that is the lgbtq plus queer community uh it gets a conversation started and people get to say like oh hey what is that yeah and for kids in particular who are looking around as they're starting to recognize their own identity and come to terms with their own identity being able to see examples of people that they relate to and that they can um, identify parts of themselves in, in the public realm is very important, especially if they don't have anybody in their personal circles to look to, to see these traits of themselves. It it, it just obviously helps um, for people to, you know, accept themselves and to understand themselves a little bit better, to be able to see these parts of themselves reflected in our culture and in other people. It's just a huge deal. So I'm excited. Was there any uh, one person in particular this year that you got really excited when you saw them come out either because you were surprised or it was just nice to see it? Um, I'm trying to think like, because we have so many, I mean, Danelle Levia. Yeah. 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 Or is it Levia? Yeah, I know the Cuban guy. 
yeah, that guy. Just because I had a crush on him since the Olympics. But um, no, I'm trying to think. Like we've had so many um people that I'm just kind of like, all right. Some of them weren't like a, a shocker. Yeah, I mean, I think I was pretty excited for Sarah Ramirez, who you know has come out a couple of times, and for her. Um, actually, you know, I'm not sure what pronouns uh, Sarah's using. Maybe they. Um, but they came out as non-binary and I, that was exciting um, for me because, you know, it's an evolving process. Same with Elliot Page, you know, multiple coming out. Sometimes you have to come out more than once before you get to your uh, truest self. And I think that's great. So I thought that was a pretty cool uh, evolution of the stories this year. Yeah. We had some really cool, like first, I, I keep thinking back to, um, just here in town when we had the Wizards game, when we had the night out at the Wizards and Riley Knox performed, was she was the first trans performer to dance in the NBA halftime show, yes. which is awesome because I remember seeing Riley perform all over the city. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. Yes, very cool. 2020 was an epic year for gay culture and the LGBTQ community in many other ways as well. There was a record amount of representation in film and television, including the documentary Disclosure, Films like Ammonite, The Boys in the Band, Friendsgiving, The Happiest Season, Transhood, Uncle Frank, The Christmas Setup, Clementine, Freaky, The Half of It, Kajillionaire, Lazy Susan, Monsoon, The Prom, and Dashing in December. And TV shows like Schitt's Creek, Gentleman Jack, One Day at a Time, Will and Grace, Queer Eye, The Politician, The Bold Type, The L Word, Generation Q, Glow, Orphan Black, and Never Have I Ever, just to name a few. A record number of LGBTQ people ran for office in 2020 as well, with 574 LGBTQ candidates on the general election ballot in 2020. We had our first openly LGBTQ candidate running in a major party primary for president with Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who has now been nominated for a cabinet position, another first for an openly gay politician. 2020 saw many challenges for the LGBTQ community politically, but also saw a historic victory for LGBTQ rights at the Supreme Court. Five years after the U.S. Supreme Court declared a fundamental right for same-sex couples to marry, the justices produced another landmark for the gay rights movement by ruling that federal anti-bias law covers millions of gay, lesbian, and transgender workers. In a 6-3 to three decision written by Justice Neil Gorsuch, the court ruled in Bostock versus Clayton County that Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination because of sex, extends to people who face job bias arising from their sexual orientation or gender identity. And sadly, 2020 also saw record amounts of deadly violence perpetrated against members of the transgender community. At least 41 transgender or gender nonconforming people have been fatally shot or killed by other violent means so far in 2020, the majority of which were Black and Latinx transgender women. So, Gabe, are there any significant issues that stand out for you in the world of all things queer in 2020 that you want to mention or any of the things that I mentioned that you wanted to comment on? I mean, since we're pretty much all stuck at home watching TV for almost all of 2020, I thought it was amazing that we had so many different uh, queer actors, artists, directors, content producers, everything, you know, writers create all this amazing content that was out yeah. that we actually got to enjoy because we were stuck at home all year. Yeah, um, it was awesome. I just watched 
um, uh, the prom this last week, and it okay. was great. I loved it. <laughs> Andrew Reynolds, who wasn't it? Okay, so that's the one that's somewhat based on like Mike Pence, or I don't know. There's some like weird story about oh, that. Is it? I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, it's got but, this like <laughs> inspiration. <laughs> that's terrible. But yeah, it's like, um. <laughs> A girl comes out in her small town and then she wants to bring um, her girlfriend as her prom date. And so the PTA goes and like cancels the prom and then they like, you know, plot twist. They are told they have to have a prom, but then they end up planning two separate proms where the girl, the gay girl is like all by herself at her prom. Nobody goes to it. You know, it's like this terrible story. But then these like self-absorbed Broadway actors like get on a bus and head out there to save the day, um, mostly because they're trying to get some street cred and some good... uh, good publicity because they had a couple of bad uh stories in the news about them not because they actually care but then of course they come around and fall in love with this girl and like find their own uh good goodness and uh yeah but it's pretty great it's like andrew Rennells or reynolds i can never know how to pronounce his name but he's awesome and like he obviously has now um put mark uh marked the biggest uh dot on his gay card because he starred in a show alongside Meryl Streep (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's pretty that's gay street cred right there for sure but yeah no I I actually really liked it it was cute I mean it was definitely campy and corny and like not the best uh movie I've ever seen but it was pretty cute I enjoyed it um and yeah, I mean, we've already talked about so much of the queer content over the course of this year, but there's been some really good stuff. I mean, we didn't mention, we mentioned it off script, but my obsession with uh, 90 Day Fiance the other way, which we had the first gay couple, <laughs> the guy moved from St. Oh no, he moved from Florida to Mexico, but yeah, I wanted to punch him halfway. I wanted to punch all the couples, but that's, that's a separate <laughs> issue. But yeah, at least we had that. The first gay couple. Yeah, on a terrible dating uh, reality. <laughs> reality TV show. Terrible, terrible. I mean, um, and then, I mean, we were talking about the holiday specials, and now everybody can watch the Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme special on Hulu because they got picked up. I saw that hit the thing. I I, I got to tell you, I watched the beginning of it, and the first couple of songs were so depressing to me that I had to turn it off. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to revisit this when I'm in a different headspace. I was I was feeling a little sad for myself this week because I've been quarantining because of a uh, COVID positive at my office, and so I had to not go to a socially distanced holiday gathering today, and I was feeling really bummed out. Plus, I don't have a, didn't have a Christmas tree because all my ornaments were in storage because my basement got flooded. So I was feeling anti-Christmas. And then the first song in like the Jinx and Dela holiday special <laughs> was Jinx talking about how much she hates Christmas. And I was like, I can't. I'm going to cry. <laughs> but no, it's super exciting. There were so many great representation. I'm um, trying to think, what other show was picked up on Hulu? Because that, that the only reason their uh, Christmas special got picked up is because of I forgot what like queer um, holiday special was on Hulu and like 
the ratings were insane. So they're like, okay, quick, we need more queer holiday content. Oh, Where really? can we find yeah, it? I Get those know. drag queens. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there was that one night only Broadway special that was on, that got picked up on Hulu. That was pretty cool. I mean, most Broadway people are queer in some way. So there was all that. Um, what else is on Hulu these days? I don't know. Everything, but everything is, is on Hulu. Happiest season. That's Netflix, right? That's the, uh, um, maybe. Yeah, I don't know, but all these great shows, go watch them. Dashing in December is now uh, next up on my list for some queer content to watch. Oh, and for like, I was going to yell millennials, but I am a millennial. All the people that didn't know that Catherine O'Hara was in Home Alone, that blew my mind. Those people are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) They don't, I mean, come on. (laughs) We watched Schitt's Creek, yes, but she was, yes, she was the mother in Home Alone, and she was also on every single... Oh shoot! What's that director's name? The one who did Christopher uh, Guest. There you go. All the Christopher Guest movies. Yeah, they both were. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're fantastic. Oh, I also recently watched Uncle Frank, which is a Amazon Prime movie original movie, Hmm. and it's really good. It's like I want to say set maybe in the fifties, and it's like this girl from a small town who uh, finds out that her favorite uncle is gay. She like never knew he was gay. He was coming home, like he had moved away to New York City and um, he would come home for like holidays and stuff, but he never brought his partner and never was openly gay with the family. And then she moves to New York and finds out that he's gay and they kind of re-get to know each other. Um, it's a really great story. I, I recommend it. It's got some sad moments in it, but it's definitely uh, worth the watch. So hooray for all that gay representation. Obviously, we're excited about all the politicians. Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete. Sarah McBride is now the highest ranking openly trans uh, official since she won her election and she's in the state Senate in Delaware. That's exciting. Um, You know, we, I talked about the Supreme court case. That was obviously a huge deal. Uh, We gave, you know, you and I, talked a lot about violence against the transgender community this year so you know we obviously know that that is one of the biggest stories of the year and something we need to keep focusing on but i don't know was there anything else anything else that you think i missed any major queer topics from the year that uh i mean got we have you all more, yeah we have more lgbtq representation in state houses more in congress this year which is awesome because, you know, we love to talk about politics and stuff. I think it was just, it was just a really good year for people to, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do, but a lot of people were, again, were, it wasn't, you know, it was a positive for people to come out. And like, I keep talking to all these people about the next administration and they're like, no, they want more queer LGBTQ, you know, people involved in politics and involved in everything before it was like such a stigma and like you, know, you could get fired for being gay or lesbian or trans right. or everything and now it's like no we need you come work for us now we have gay people in all the cereal commercials it's crazy exactly and starbucks <laughs> commercials and everything yeah so we have to we're gonna keep spending our gay dollars on all those brands that uh are supporting the community and uh watching all of our queer shows and Uh, making sure that we uh, let people know how much we appreciate the representation and uh, hopefully more for 2021 more more yeah and I'm I'm glad we also covered a lot of the shows about our history and the queer history you know coming in the 30s 40s 50s all the stuff that happened you know pre-Stonewall there's so much history that is out there 
Um, and I'm really excited over this break to get into more and kind of do a little bit more of my uh, gay history. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Awesome. 2020 was also a big year for sports for the most part, because the COVID-19 pandemic changed sports. So fundamentally, the year started out with two big stories when the Kansas city chiefs won the super bowl and then Kobe Bryant's death in a helicopter crash shocked the sports world. Not long after that COVID took over the NBA season was suspended. March madness was canceled and all sports shut down. The Olympics were postponed, so was the Tour de France and the New York City Marathon. As we reached summer, sports started to come back and Lionel Messi scored his 700th goal in his storied career. In July, the Washington football team retired its racist mascot. Then came the NBA bubble and the WNBA bubble, the death of George Floyd and a rise in activism among athletes from across the spectrum. The Lakers won the NBA Finals, and the L.A. Dodgers won a World Series after the shortest baseball season of all time. The NFL went on like COVID didn't exist, but players kept testing positive for COVID. And then Argentine soccer legend Diego Armando Maradona died of heart failure. Sports, like everything else in 2020, was pretty weird. And sports and queer continued to intersect this year as Idaho passed a law called the Fairness in Women's Sports Act that bars transgender females from competing on girls' and women's teams at public schools and state colleges and universities. Sports Illustrated featured Valentina Sampaio, its first openly transgender model for the magazine's annual swimsuit issue. World Rugby banned trans women from competing at the highest international levels, FIFA came under fire for awarding the 2022 World Cup to not-so-gay-friendly Qatar, and the NCAA Board of Governors held its first-ever gender identity summit. But one of my favorite stories this year at the intersection of sports and queer is that of former NBA star Dwayne Wade and his family. Dwayne Wade appeared on The Ellen DeGeneres Show early this year to talk about he and his wife, actress Gabrielle Union, and how they have supported their 12-year-old daughter. Wade explained that once Zaya, originally born Zion as a boy, came home and said, quote, hey, so I want to talk to you guys. I think going forward, I'm ready to live my truth, and I want to be referenced as she and her. I would love for you guys to call me Zaya. In March, Zaya made her red carpet debut, and all year, Wade, Union, and their family have repeatedly reaffirmed their love for and pride in Zaya. It's been so great to see this story continue to evolve and the impact that it has had on the LGBTQ community is immeasurable. All right, Gabe, what about you? Any favorite sports and or intersection of sports and queer 2020 stories that you wanted to mention? Um, I just love bubbles and all the bu- <laughs> <laughs> just bubbles. What about what about marbles? You didn't say anything about. <laughs> I have ex- okay. Marbles were amazing. I did love all the marble. I'm just I'm excited and I'm glad that we could have sports during COVID, yeah. even though uh, except for the NFL because they horribly screwed everything up. But everybody else did a fine job. I think <laughs> as usual, the NFL is lagging a little bit. A little bit. They, they you know baseball was weird, but it was good. The NBA was it was interesting. Uh, right now, college football, you know, it was championship Saturday uh, this past Saturday or yesterday, and things are still going along. But yeah, the NFL just again. Oh, 
thing up. Right, that reminds me of something I didn't mention, which is that the Buffalo Bills just won their first conference championship in 25 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's something and exciting that happened, I guess, for the sports world this year. Exciting for somebody in upstate New York, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah, no sports was definitely weird this year. I, I guess for me, what I'm just hoping is that we get a little bit of normalcy back in 2021, get to go in person to more sporting events. Um, the major league rugby season is getting ready to kick off in a couple of weeks and they're going to be having at least some in-person attendance. I've yet to hear the exact announcement about what they're doing in terms of capacity rules or anything. Um, of course it is played outdoors. So that, um, does help. Um, but so, you know, I'm hoping that that is a sign that we are going to start getting back to normal. I'm very curious to see if, um, they come up with a plan for college basketball this year, if we're going to have I mean, they're going to have the bubble in Indianapolis uh, for March Madness, but I don't know exactly what yeah, they're planning I, or what's going on. Well, I, I don't know how that happens, right? Like, because I don't know how they're going to have enough se- like enough of a season to even figure out who goes to the tournament. I don't understand how there's time <laughs> to quarantine those kids. Will I would think most of them are taking classes? I don't know. It seems mysterious, but it looks like plans are in the works to have a little bit more normalcy in 2021. Um, And hopefully we all get vaccinated and uh, the world can truly return to normal. Yeah. Except if you're from England, like we had this whole, uh, we had an international rugby uh, gift exchange type thing. We were making fun of the one guy from, from Kent because, uh, that's where that new mutation of COVID is coming from. And he's like, yeah, none of us can leave now. I was like, thanks, UK. Uh, how he, could he you? Also, he also said Kent was the Florida of England. So great. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. What I need more. I was for- like, thanks. <laughs> wah, wah. It's okay. I'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess um, all of this is to say, what the hell, what a year it's been. Um, Of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the greatest thing to come out of 2020 is this podcast. Um, Yay! (laughs) Not to be too excited about ourselves. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, if you ever doubted that uh, sports and queer issues collide on the regular, you just need to listen to a couple of episodes of Under the Bleachers. So get all get all your uh queer queer news and your queer sports news exactly all right all the randomness that is on the internet (laughs) okay that wraps up the first season of under the bleachers we hope you have enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed making this podcast so far we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to share our interview with team dc member club the washington prodigy We hope you enjoy it, and we look forward to discussing all things queer, all things sports, and the fabulous intersection where sports and queer meet with you on Season 2 of Under the Bleachers next spring. Happy holidays and Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Courtney and Jordan joining us from the Washington Prodigy. Hi, y'all. How y'all doing? Hey, great. Hey, good, good. Doing well? All right. So can you tell us a little bit about the Washington Prodigy? Um, Sure. This is Jordan. The uh, Washington Prodigy was founded um, in 2012 by myself and the owner, Tiffany Matthews. Um, We'd both 
at that point been playing football for about eight years and then decided to branch out and create our own franchise. Um, this would have been our eighth season uh, in 2021, but of course um, things got canceled because of the you know pandemic and different um, safety concerns. But we try to keep ourselves um, you know permanently rooted in the city, active throughout the city, volunteering, um, food drives, and different things at shelters and school appearances, and just really like make ourselves a community organization. And we have amazing athletes. Courtney's one of them. Um, so we always try to, you know, showcase their talent and just help them take their game to the next level. Awesome. So the Prodigy is a women's tackle football team. And we play in the Women's National Football Conference. Um, we actually just moved there. 2021 would have been our first season in the WNFC. Very cool. So how did you all get started, um, I guess, in the area? You know, what made you want to start a women's tackle football team? Um, so there had already been a women's tackle football team in this area for which Tiffany and I had both played for several years. Um, and the team was incredibly successful, still is, but we had a different vision for how we wanted women's tackle football to be run, um, in terms of player engagement, morale, and just really making it player-centered, like making sure that while they were learning, um, whether new or veteran, that they had a positive experience, built the camaraderie, and kind of always circled back to why they play, why it's so important to, you know, engage in the community and really fix yourself um, in the place that you are trying to represent. So we branched out. But I mean, women's football has been in this area probably since... 2001. So, you know, we're talking almost 20 years, but uh, we just had a different vision. And so we carried it out. And so now there are two teams here, but we're really proud of the product that we have put forward. And I'd like to add just as a newer player this year would have been my second year um, playing for the Washington Prodigy. And I had played flag football since 2001. And so I heard of the team maybe a couple years ago, and I realized that so many people from the Flag Football League were a part of the team. And so that's how I um, got the information and, you know, decided to try out and um, be a part of the team. And I think what kept me participating and move, well, what kept me moving on to the next year was kind of like the comprehensive approach of the team, not just being about football, but just kind of some of those things Jordan mentioned earlier, the service the, you know, the the giving back to the community, the kind of the political movement with women in sports. So that's kind of been my journey with football in the D.C. area. Nice. That's that sounds good. Um, tell us a little bit more about the type of community service work and the type of political work that you guys do. Well, so Courtney actually works. I'm going to get your title wrong, so I'm going to let you say it. But she is a STEM leader at um, a very prestigious high school in D.C., so she has actually given the players some opportunities to come and help with mock interviews and different like college preparatory programs that they've had for their students. Um, every holiday, we try to do either a toy drive. We've done Toys for Tots several times, um, a food drive. Uh, two years ago, we volunteered at a homeless shelter. 
this past year, we did um, a brown bag where we made, you know, along with other um, organizations, like over 10,000, um, like lunch bags and sanitary kits for people in need over the holidays. We've done Anacostia Rivershed cleanup. Um, just any time that we can get out as a group and kind of represent our team while doing community service, uh, we always try to capitalize on those things. And then, of course, we have several players in addition to Courtney that work at schools at other levels, elementary and middle. So whenever there's a career day or a job fair, um, we try to attend those and just kind of let people know what football is. Of course, all of us have other careers. So this isn't, you know, we don't go necessarily to present football yet. I'll say yet, because I hope that one day we can, you know, as a lucrative professional career, but we just want the young girls there to know that it's something that's available to them. Um, especially now as flag football is starting to be in the schools and just kind of help help motivate them to continue on academically and athletically. All right. That sounds great. So if someone wants to join the team, how do they get started? Do y'all take veterans? Do you take new players? So the great thing about <clears throat> women's football is that, you know, we're used to getting women from all different athletic backgrounds. So because football has not always been a staple in, um, you know, elementary and secondary education, especially not, you know, the tackle format, the 11 on 11 with the collegiate rules that we use, we expect women to come not really having like that basic fundamental knowledge. I mean, you may watch football on TV, but of course that's totally different than actually like, you know, executing on the field. So we take all levels, all experience, you know, from the greenest rookie who doesn't even watch that much NFL to someone, you know, like Courtney who knows the game, but just kind of needs to be um, sharpened in terms of the, you know, 11 on 11 versus eight on eight or things like that. Um, and there is room for all sizes, all ages. You know, I've played with 50 year olds who, who can outrun me. Um, I've played with, you know, 18 year olds fresh out of high school or just starting college who are kind of looking to increase their social networks in new areas. Um, we really, there's no specific type of woman or level of experience that we cater to. We're just really happy that people, you know, are taking the time out and making football a priority. And our coaches are great. Like they'll, they'll teach you at every level and keep it interesting for you, whether you're brand new or whether you've been doing it for, you know, almost two decades, like some of us. Cool. And do you have open tryouts um, and or can people just show up anytime to a practice and try out? So we like to say both. <laughs> um, we do have tryouts. Uh, we have three tryouts in the fall, which Lord willing and pandemic notwithstanding, we will have again. We start in September and hold tryouts through the fall. And then we do a mini camp in December. Uh, the league normally has a, of course, a roster cutoff. You know, you can't just be stacking your team, you know, halfway through our, our season, which starts in the spring. So um, towards the end of winter or the beginning of spring, they will cut the roster, you know, lock it so that we can't add anyone else. But during that preseason time, kind of after minicamp, we still um, definitely encourage people to come out, check us out and jump in. It may not be quite as easy at that time because you know we've been kind of going for a little bit but like I said I mean the coaches are always willing to to support a player who's there and ready to learn so we make it a positive experience for everybody got it uh so where do you guys play your home games 
Well, I would gladly say this year we were scheduled to play our home games at the historic Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, which is where I serve as the engineering academy director. And that was really big for me because as a coach at Dunbar for the past 10 years, um, I've always played football, but my students had never seen like what it was or, you know, maybe not even taking it serious. Like, oh, Miss Perham, you don't play football. So for them to be able to see myself as well as my teammates, you know, um, in full gear and hitting and, you know, knowing the game and it's definitely was a great experience. So Dunbar is our home for the Washington prodigy. Cool. Um, and I understand that you have, uh, a bit of a partnership with cheer DC. Um, what's that atmosphere like at your games? Do they cheer every week or every home game? I should say. Cheer DC is amazing. <laughs> um, we yeah we partnered with them for the last three years, and also um, for the our season that just passed, we began to partner with DC different drummers. Actually, we partnered with them for two years, and people come to our games, especially the visiting teams, because Cheer DC you know they're full of energy, they're super excited, they're really talented. You know, they make the tunnel um, for like for us when we come out of like the, you know, the, the locker room tunnel and they really turn it into like a, a Saturday night lights kind of situation. So the other teams are often like, oh, my God, y'all, they have cheerleaders like they are legit, like as <laughs> as legit as the football like the organization and as professionally as we try to always run things, you know, and, and execute and make sure the game goes off without a hitch. They definitely add the icing to the cake in terms of fan experience and crowd engagement and excitement, like things that we weren't really able to do before we started partnering with them. So they've been such a blessing to us. It's, it's really awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I'd like to add as a former fan, uh, before I started playing, I honestly was excited to come to experience Cheer DC. Um they are just awesome. I don't know if I expected it my first time that I saw them, but just to see like this full circle athletic experience from adults, I thought was super duper cool. So yes, cheer DC must stay. <laughs> Do you think football itself is becoming more of an inclusive sport for LGBTQ plus players and fans? Whew, that's a, um, that's a tricky one, Gabe. So we are very proud to be an inclusive team in terms of having people from all ages, all races and ethnicities, backgrounds, orientations. You know, we have um, women who identify as straight and women who identify as queer. The transgender issue is always a difficult one um, because, you know, then you get into semantics and physiology and and competitiveness and, you know, whether or not you're able to keep the playing field level when you, you know, introduce players who are either male to female or female to male transgender. And I know that's still kind of an outstanding question, you know, in the athletic world is if these people are not allowed to play on traditional gender binary teams, you know, where can they play? I don't know if, you know, women's football has found the the answer to that yet. Um, you know, I, I hope that it can be found soon. But as of right now, um, there is a 
and I'm not going to try to quote it because it's, um, you know, it's very scientific language, but we do have an allowance for um, certain transitioning athletes to a point, but it's very like medically contingent and they need special permissions and things like that. So I feel like we're as inclusive as we can be based on the landscape. But of course, there's always room for improvement. That's just on the field, though. In terms of off the field and fan base and engagement, you know, where we volunteer, where we party, where we play our games, you know, and and who we really hope to reach out to, we're radically inclusive in that regard. So what what piece of advice would you give to a young girl who is interested in playing football and maybe has heard from some of the men in her life that football is not a game for her. I personally would invite her to the games. Um, and I think I know, and um, DC we've been, we've had flag football in schools in our high schools for the, maybe about four or five years or so, five or six years. But I think it's just um, lack of exposure. Um, and that kind of makes some misunderstandings. So I think that I would show that student that, you know, this female, um, seeing these females like totally engaged, physically involved in this sport, I think that that student would be able to articulate to her parents how much she can be a part of that game, how inclusive it is, and how it's not gender-based, but more so just about the love of the game and the, you know, the athletic abilities that it presents. Yeah, if I could just add to that, um, one thing that I've always noticed is that it's really difficult for some people, particularly men, to envision women playing tackle football. So I always just say, come see it. Like, you have to see it to believe it. Or now I have conversations with people Tell them I play tackle. They ask me all the questions, you know, are the rules the same? Is it, do you use the whole field, et cetera? Like, I, I just told you that it was just like collegiate football. I don't, I don't know what you thought was different. Um, but even after those conversations, you know, they're like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. But then I'll show them a picture and suddenly like the visualization makes it click for them as if the words that I was saying weren't really like resonating the same way. So I always tell people, just come check us out. You know, we're on social media, um, sidebar, social media plug. We're on Facebook, Washington Prodigy, Instagram, Wash Prodigy, Twitter, Wash Prodigy, and then our website, WashingtonProdigy.com. There's pictures there. There's clips. There's videos. You know, you don't have to take my word or Courtney's word for it. You can see us in action and see why it's so great and why you should come check it out in person when we get back started in 21. Very cool. So I know that you guys just switched leagues, but I also um, know that you were, I think, the reigning three-time champs in your former league. So Jordan, I'd love to hear you hear from you what it feels like to have started a team from nothing and and brought it to where it is today. Insane. <laughs> it feels it feels insane. You know, our first game, I believe we had. 17 players on our roster. Um, you know, we went four and four our first season, which everybody was really impressed about uh, because we had the grit, you know, we've always, the team has always worked hard to get where they are and have the successes that we've had. It also just kind of speaks to 
the the character and the vibe of the team that we've been able to have the longevity because I'll tell you like those games are those those games are technically won on the field but really like the team is who they are because of the way that we interact and the cohesiveness that we have off of the field and I know you know Courtney can speak to that too like the relationships between the players are super important so we as leadership try to do everything we can to foster those you know we have annual retreats and outings and you know make sure that people are engaging with one another showing support showing up for each other um so it's just really it's really nice to have built that family so the wins are great and the success is great but it's really about like the vibe that carries us through those those you know on screen i'll say you know on field successful moments that is what that what really drives us and keeps us going year after year is there anything else that you'd like to tell anybody who's listening about the Washington prodigy before we say goodbye? I think, I guess I would like to say as, again, as a second year member that the Washington prodigy kind of brings to life, like the, the future of football. Right. So it combines like all these different avenues of, of things that you may experience in your regular day, but it puts it into a, in a football perspective. So you get the family, you get the, um, you know, the team camaraderie through, I know so often we have like inter or intra-team competitions, you know, the O-line is having a competition, who can sell the most whatever, because we're trying to go wherever. So that part is really important. Um, we also have like just the competitions for sponsorship, who's going to get the most fans or, you know, partners added to the team. So all of those components have been a great addition or maybe transition from my regular work um, work day into an athletic um, component. And I have really, really appreciated being able to merge my two worlds. So I can go and let off some steam physically um, by playing the sport, but still use my other skills and talents to kind of improve. So the, the Washington Prodigy is also a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And the... Besides the community service aspect, the other primary reason that we decided to create ourselves as a nonprofit was to help the players who are ultimately responsible for raising the money to help keep us going. So it is the ticket sales. It is the the player sponsors. It is those fundraising avenues that keeps us going from year to year. The girls do not get paid. They pay or fundraise to play. The coaches volunteer. Tiffany and I volunteer. We are all just doing this for a love of the sport and a love of football. So I would encourage anyone listening, you know, go online, buy a ticket, make a small donation. You know, everything counts. It goes right back to the girls. It goes right back to the experience that you see as a fan when you come to the games. So we're nothing without our fan base. So we just always encourage people to, like us, follow us, reach out, talk about us, and just really engage in the things that we have going on. Great. I'm really excited to um, get out and see you guys play when things get started up again. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. This was fun, and I um, appreciated getting to hear a little bit more about the Prodigy. I hope that uh, we get to talk again soon. Thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. 
Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.